I'm Shelley Schlender. You're tuned to KGNU, and I'm your host for this morning's call-in show. Today our topic is what to eat. There's the USDA that says follow the food pyramid. There's the American Heart Association that says to eat a low-fat diet, and especially low in saturated fat. A brand new study from Harvard claims that a plant-based, Mediterranean-style diet is the best, and it's not the same as the food pyramid or the American Heart Association diet. Meanwhile, some researchers say that a surprisingly healthy way to eat is with loads of fat, even saturated fat, and it's a way to eat that can reverse heart disease risk factors, obesity, and diabetes, and it might even be great for competitive athletes. Well, could this possibly be true? And what diet is right for you? With us this morning to provide some answers is medical doctor and longtime health researcher Steve Finney. His latest two books are The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance and The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living. In them, he has some new ideas for how to gauge what diet is right for you. Just to let you know, we're offering these two books to listeners who call and pledge this morning. You can get one of them for $40 each, or you can get both of them for $60. You know the phone number for pledging, and if you don't, call us up and ask for it, or pledge online at kgnu.org. We've got a limited number of these books available, so get one as soon as you can. But for now, Steve Finney, let's jump right in with a question for you. Well, first, good morning, Steve. How you doing? Good morning, Shelley. Well, thank you. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Steve, do you think that there is one best way for people to eat for their health? Well, let me be a little cautious in my answer and say absolutely not. Uh, clearly, there is no one best way. There's no one perfect diet that fits the needs of every individual, be it a child, adult, or an aging individual. Um, uh, we humans are blessed with uh, remarkably flexible metabolism frequently, but sometimes that metabolism becomes inflexible in ways that define different needs for different people. Different needs for different people, sort of like if someone breaks their ankle, they need one kind of therapy. If somebody has a uh, runny nose, a stuffy, a sore throat, they need another kind of therapy. There may be different diets depending on our constitutions and what's broken in us. That's correct. Well, let's look a little bit at a new study from Harvard, where Harvard says that actually they think there is a best diet. What do you think of that? Well, you're talking about the study by uh, Eberling et al. In, from David Ludwig's lab that is out in JAM, the Journal of the American Medical Association this week. Is that Yes, this just came out yesterday. It said that between three diets, for instance, for obesity and metabolic disease, basically diabetes risk and heart disease risk, the ones that came out on top were not the low-fat diets. They were the high-fat diet and the Mediterranean-style diet. But between the two of them, the Harvard group said that the diet that was the Mediterranean diet was better than the high-fat, low-carb diet because it caused less inflammatory markers to heat up. What do you think? Well, A, it's, it's an elegantly done study by an excellent group of scientists, um, uh, and it's, it's a very complex, um, the results are complex because they measured many, many things. Uh, but the way it was interpreted, and certainly uh, by the authors, was quite cautious, if not maybe a little restrained relative to the data, and certainly the way it's been interpreted by the media has been, I think, imbalanced. Uh, 
the most intriguing result from the study is that they took a group of overweight people, 21 of them, and took them through about a 10% weight loss on, on, all on the same diet. And after, after that, they basically put them on a maintenance calorie level using the three different diets. As you mentioned, the high-carb diet, very high in carbohydrate, very low in fat. The Mediterranean diet, which is uh, moderate protein with about equal amounts of fat and carbohydrate in the diet. And then what they called the, their low-carbohydrate diet, which was a high-protein, uh, high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. And what was intriguing uh, was that they, when they looked at energy expenditure, that is, how many calories did a person burn per day, um, even though everybody was getting the same number of calories on the three different diets, each diet was done for one month um, in, in sequence, the people who got the low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet uh, actually had a significantly higher resting metabolism and higher total energy expenditure than the other two diets. Does that mean that they were ready to go out and rev up their engines and go for a walk or go for a hike or go for a run more likely than the other people? What did that mean? No, it meant that at rest and in just normal daily activities, they burned more calories, which means they could eat more calories and maintain a stable weight. Alternatively, what it also means, if they ate a little less than they were burning per day, uh, they would lose weight faster on that type of diet. And that's been a claim for low-carbohydrate diets for uh, going back 30 years, but it's never been rigorously examined, and this is the first study to show it's true. Now, there, there were some but other, the other things. But the other yeah. part of the study that, that gets the most attention is they looked, of course, at a bunch of other things, like what happens to blood lipids, what happens to um, how the body handles carbohydrate, so-called um, insulin sensitivity. Uh, they looked at markers of inflammation in the body, and the thing that's gotten a lot of attention is that um, one marker of inflammation called C-reactive protein went down for all, on all the diets. In fact, it went down markedly when uh, the sub compared to baseline for all three diets in maintenance. It just went down a little bit more on the two carbohydrate-containing diets compared to the low-carbohydrate diet. So, you know, the, some people in the press have said, oh, this shows that that, uh, quote, the Atkins diet, unquote, which is, of course, this was not an Atkins diet. The Atkins diet uh, causes increased inflammation. And actually, it caused, the diet they used caused slightly less of a decrease in inflammation. Uh, but all of them decreased inflammation. While another biomarker called PI-1, which is also considered a marker of inflammation, went down as much or more on, on the low-carb, uh, higher-protein diet. So, uh, I think people are splitting hairs, the, the, but the results here actually came out strongly in favor for most parameters for a, a carbohydrate-restricted diet. But then why did, why did the press and why did the Harvard School of Nutrition emphasize the markers that seem to say the best diet is the Mediterranean diet? Why did they do that? Well, maybe because they're strongly invested academically in that diet. Uh, won't name names, but uh, there are well-known individuals at Harvard who have been pushing the Mediterranean diet for, and, and with good reason. Uh, clearly, time after time after time, a Mediterranean diet comes out ahead of a very low-fat, very high-carbohydrate diet, uh, yeah, the kind of diet that had been uh, encouraged by the, the food pyramid and, the, and the, uh, other federal uh, guidelines. But, and their bias, there is, I'll say it frankly, there is a strong bias among many academic groups against a low-carbohydrate diet. But at this point, that bias is 
driven primarily by the claim that nobody can stay on one long term, so why should you ever put somebody on such a diet to begin with? Now, in your case, you have seen people stay on these kind of diets long term, in fact, for decades, and do how did they do on them? Well, there are two questions there, I think. How do they do it, and how do they do on them? The reason why many people who I know, some are my patients, uh, stay on low-carbohydrate diets long-term is because it markedly improves their health, their well-being, and to some degree their performance. And we can come back to that performance issue a bit later. Um, uh, people who, with, for instance, with type 2 diabetes or with the pre-diabetic state called metabolic syndrome uniformly improve on a low-carbohydrate diet. Um, frequently, type 2 diabetics not only improve, but they get off all their medication and frequently uh, show no signs of diabetes when they're on a well-formulated uh, diet, uh, low enough in carbohydrate that it overcomes the uh, underlying insulin resistance. So um, why do they do it? Because they feel better, they function better, and we make risk factors and sometimes disease states go away with this type of diet. Well, Steve Finney, you're an example of somebody who does better on a low-carb, high-fat diet. Um, you've mentioned that your blood pressure goes up if you don't eat just a very few amount of carbs. Meanwhile, your wife and your kids seem to do great when they are just eating a diet that has rice and um, some carbs in it, and so you make meals where you make a meal for yourself and then you give the rest of the family some rice to go with it. Well, I, I think it's dangerous when an individual, be it a physician or anybody else, says, oh, this works for me, so it should work for you. Um, uh, so uh, I'm not saying that my experience is generalizable to everyone, but yes, uh, you do know, Shelley, that I... Um, have had quite severe hypertension, high blood pressure when I was on what was supposed to be a healthy high-carb diet. And um, uh, when I went on low-carb back in uh, uh, the spring of 2003, my high blood pressure went away. Um, I did it for a year. Then I went on a Mediterranean diet, and my blood pressure came back. Uh, I tried that for a year. Uh, and so finally, uh, in 2005, I, I basically made the permanent switch to a well-formulated, low-carb, ketogenic diet. Less than 50 grams per day of carbohydrate is basically with a formula that I follow, and I have low normal blood pressure, um, lost about 35 pounds. Uh, and, and there are quite a few other people who have had a similar experience um, you know, when, when we got that message to them and gave them the tools to do it right. And you can bicycle 60 miles without even getting hungry. <laughs> yeah, well, I... Uh, yeah, I do that fairly frequently. Well, I, I, I never take food with me anymore because I don't have to worry about glycogen as my limiting fuel. I, I, my body functions almost totally on fat. So you don't, hit, you don't hit the wall. You don't hit the wall and get hungry and need a banana every 20 miles. You can go 60 miles and you're fine. Uh, yes. Well, and, and, and recently, if you want to move towards the performance issue, um, I just came back from... Uh, working with my co-author on the books, Dr. Jeff Bullock, who's on the faculty at the University of Connecticut. Uh, he and his team flew out here, and we have just completed a collecting data on a study of people running a um, mountain uh, trail race called the Western States 100, which basically uh, the competitors run 100 miles across the Sierra Range from uh, Squaw Valley over near Lake Tahoe down to Auburn on this side of the mountains here in Northern California. And... Uh, there were a surprising number of, of runners, including uh, top runners in the group, who were competing on low-carb. 
Meaning, and, meaning uh, that they weren't eating a lot of carbohydrates. How were they eating? Well, they eat mostly fat and moderate protein. Uh, some of them use some, quote, in-race, unquote, carbs. Uh, that is, when they're running, they may use a small amount of carbs, but they're not running on, you know, eating strawberries, j- grapes, bananas, or, or uh, gel, high-carb gels and things like that every half hour. Um, and the intriguing fact, and it's, it's common knowledge, so I'm not giving away his proprietary information, but the winner of the race, uh, a gentleman named Tim Olson, uh, uh, not only won the race, but, but knocked 21 minutes off the, all, the all-time record for this race. He finished in under 15 hours uh, in a 100-mile run, and he uh, is public on the fact that he trains and, and races on a low-carb diet. But Steve Finney, I thought that the most famous ultramarathoner, person who's running and winning 100-mile races, is a man who eats a vegan diet, which is more like beans and rice and lots of vegetables and, and fruits and not a scrap of meat not not very much fat either. There's even a famous book out by this man saying that this is a great way to eat. But you're saying that a high-fat, low-carb eater is the one who won the race? Yes, and that, I think that comes back to your original question, Shelley, and that is, is there one perfect diet for everyone? And the answer is, clearly, a the uh, vegan runner has found the right diet for him that fits his physiology the best. Uh, whereas the gentleman who won uh, uh, the uh, Western States 100 Sunday morning, uh, actually Saturday night, because he, he got in before dark, uh, uh, had found the right diet for him. So we, yeah, we recruited over 20 runners in the, the race to be our study, it'd be in our study, and about half of them were following low carb regimens, and half of them were following high carb regimens, and we're looking physiologically. Uh, at how they differ and how their recoveries different uh, differ after they finish, in order so we can understand this diversity among people, and now hopefully, I, I, ho- hopefully eventually that will lead us to a point where we can point people objectively to which diet might be right for them, rather than having to have people go out and try this and that and this and that until they stumble upon the right thing. Now, Steve Finney, before we go into your books that we're offering today for listeners who call in and pledge, the books are $40 each, or you can get two actually for $60. Two for $60. The number to call if you want the books is 303-449-4885. That's 303-449-4885. And we'll get into those books and talk some more about them in just a bit, but I'm a little bit intrigued by this idea of testing the parameters of ultramarathoners during a race. Did you guys who are the researchers go and say, do you mind if we take a sample of your muscle and your calf? Or do you mind if we go get your blood here at the 50 mile mark? Do you mind if we take uh, your pulse rate? I mean, how did you get information from these guys as they're running? Well, first we did baseline studies uh, uh, the day before the race. And, you know, some people are reluctant to give blood because they know that the more circulating red blood cells they have, the more oxygen their body, their, their body can distribute and the better they'll perform. But we were only taking uh, two or three teaspoons full of blood. Um, uh, and uh, that didn't in- inhibit any of them from, from performing. Uh, we did one uh, uh, mid-run check at the 100-kilometer mark, that's 62 miles into the 100-mile run, uh, just in case there were dropouts. Uh, so we would have some data because most of the dropouts occur after the, that that point. And then the the final studies were done at the end of the race, the morning uh, uh, after day one after and day two after, um, 
and then we sent them home with collection packets for some additional samples. Um, our primary focus in this is looking at, at changes in blood parameters. Okay, so you're looking at all that, you're gathering data, you're basing some of the ideas of how you gather data on information that you share in The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living, one of your new books, and also The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance. And they're a great team of books to get together. For listeners who want to call and ask questions or give comments to Steve Finney, our phone line for calls is 303-442-4242. That's 303 303- 442-4242, and it's okay if you give a pledge while you're online, too. But if you also want to pledge, you can also call 303-449-4885. And as we're looking for those calls to come in, I get to ask a few more questions of you, Steve. And one of the questions is that your research flies in the face of USDA guidelines and American Diabetes Association guidelines and American Heart Association guidelines, where a lot of that says that a calorie is a calorie. And it's better to count your calories and get exercise to deal with whether or not your calories are in balance. But even though a calorie is a calorie, some of them are bad. And one of the bad areas for calories is fat, and especially saturated fat. Do you realize how much trouble we could get in by saying that saturated fat is okay? And do you realize that in your books, you say that it may be okay? Yes, uh, I went into that with my eyes open. And yes, I've been branded a heretic probably 30 years now, um, I actually have a sh- the shirt I wear that says Heretic on it. So, you know, there's no question as to I know my status. You know, I have some people who, we have some very friendly volunteers ready to take calls for people who call in and pledge, and some of them are frowning as they're listening because they're not so sure that this is a good idea to eat saturated fats. So, Heretic, Steve Finney, what do you say about that? Why, why do you stand by this opinion? Well, um, let, let's try to make it into three points. One point is that uh, there is very solid evidence that the amount of saturated fat in a person's blood is a risk factor. The more saturated fat you have in your bloodstream, the higher your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and maybe cancer. Well, there you go. Then. So, so, so that's absolutely true. But from there, people had used that old sound bite that says you are what you eat to assume that if you eat saturated fat, it makes the blood levels of saturated fat go up. Uh, and there are some animal studies where animals are fed very high amounts of saturated fat in the context of a lot of carbohydrate. And, yes, you can see that happen in animals. That doesn't really show up very well in humans. Um, uh, and it's, it's intriguing, but there have been a number of studies published over the last decade that show that the primary factor that drives up blood saturated fat levels is not how much saturated fat you eat, but how much carbohydrate you eat. If you want but, to make saturated fats in your blood go up, if you eat a lot of carbohydrates, particularly uh, refined and carbohydrates and simple sugars, it's the dietary carbohydrate that simultaneously drives up insulin, which blocks the body's use of fats for fuel, and at the same time, some of that carbohydrate gets made into saturated fat in the liver and circulates in the blood. Steve Finney, United States is being told to eat a lot of carbohydrates. And you're saying that the carbohydrates may be what drive up fats in the blood? That's correct. And further, we've been told for 30 years that we should eat less fat and more carbohydrate, and the American people and, and the food industry have complied. We eat less total fat. We eat quite a bit more carbohydrate than we did even 10 or 20 years ago. And look at what happens to us. I mean, walk down the street. 
Well, look what happens to people who switch to a low-carb diet.、Um, there are reports and studies that say that people who do this have brain fog and no energy. How do you deal with that? Well, there are two factors it, it involved there. One of them is the duration of time the person is on the diet, and the second factor is is it a well-formulated low-carbohydrate diet or not?、Um, uh, I got into this research. Uh, back in the、uh, late 1970s and early 1980s, when I set out to prove that low-carbohydrate diets were bad and impaired physical performance, what we discovered was yes, that's true. If you do the low-carbohydrate diet for a,、uh, a week or maybe up to two weeks, but if you give a person a couple weeks or more to adapt their body's metabolism to switching from carbohydrate as its primary fuel over to fat as its primary fuel. There's no impairment of either、uh, brain performance or muscle performance, and we did studies on untrained volunteers locked up in a metabolic ward, and then I did a, a study that's now become kind of renowned, where we took a group of, of licensed but non-professional bike racers, locked them up in a metabolic ward for a month on a low-carbohydrate diet that was properly designed、uh, and implemented, and. These guys who had a, a peak aerobic power of about five liters of oxygen consumption per minute. For any technical re,、uh, listener, that's a very high peak aerobic power.、Uh, over a, after a month's time, there was no reduction in peak aerobic power, and there was no reduction in their endurance time to exhaustion, exercising at 900 calories per hour on a stationary bike. So,、um, the, the body's performance is. Superbly maintained on a well-formulated, low-carbohydrate diet. If you give the pe- a person a couple weeks to adapt, if someone's going to be on it for months or years, why worry about a couple weeks of adaptation、um, uh, in terms of getting the body retrained over? The second important factor that we emphasized back then and、uh, furthered our reputation as heretics is we pointed out that when a person is adapted to a low-carbohydrate diet, we call that keto adaptation. Where the body is adapted to making and burning ketones as a fuel, the kidneys switch from retaining salt, which it does when fed a high-carbohydrate diet, to、uh, excreting salt rapidly on a low-carbohydrate diet. And if you combine a salt salt restriction along with low carbohydrate, then you impair the person's circulation, and yeah, they feel lightheaded, dizzy,、uh, foggy, and don't exercise well. But if you give them not a high salt diet, but just a modest amount of sodium. In the range of about the lower end of where Americans currently、uh, eat salt, about five grams per day,、uh, performance and、um, well-being are very well maintained. Well, Steve Finney, you've just said another heretical thing that it's okay on at least a low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet to eat more salt. And with us in the studio now is KGNU News Director Maeve Conran to give some comments. What do you think, Maeve? Oh, Shelley, you know I'm always so fascinated by these. Programs that you do on nutrition. I have to say, I used to think I knew about eating healthy. Yeah, eat your greens and eat fruit and all of that, and you'll be just fine. But when I listen to the shows that Shelley has produced for us here at KGNU, really delving into some of these nutritional issues, my mind has just been expanded, and it just goes to show you that there is so much negative messaging out there. On corporate、uh, media, you know, we're bombarded with ads for high fat, high sugar, 
foods, things that are really bad for us, but they're packaged or promoted in a way that, yes, you should eat this. They might have like a green label or something like that. And it's really hard to actually break through some of those coding. And so very kind of subtle messages around what we eat. And we're seeing, obviously, the impact of bad nutrition on, on the country. And so it is so important that we have access to shows like this. The, the work that Shelley does here at KGNU, bringing us voices like Dr. Finney here, who can really kind of talk about some new cutting-edge ideas with regard to nutrition. It's what we're asking you to support because you're not going to get it anywhere else. And we think it's worth a phone call this morning. And in addition, we have some coffee copies of Dr. Finney's book available, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living and The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance. We have two copies. Or rather, we have the two books and you can have either or or both or really whatever combination you choose. But the important thing is show your support for this kind of programming 303-449-4885. There are no ads on KGNU for high fructose sugary drinks aimed at children. There's no ads for bad food here. What we do is we provide you programming that really explores nutritional issues in an in-depth way. So then you get to think about it, learn some more when you get the book and then get to make up your mind yourself. In fact, we get most of our funding made from our listeners. We don't even get it from the government, at least not very much, so that we're not as imposed upon by government standards for how we ought to eat. Government standards that Steve Finney, you believe, are not exactly based on science. Is that true? It's true that they, uh, my colleagues who sit on the committees that, that make those guidelines emphasize that there is some science, and they're trying to give the best interpretation to provide a single guidance for everybody. And the, to me, that's, that, so they say it's based on their interpretation of the science. To me, it's, since we humans are diverse, they're trying to uh, find the happy middle ground. And my analogy of that is I live in California. If I thought, man, maybe I should go on vacation to Hawaii, but I'm not sure, let me fly my plane halfway there and land and see what it's like before I decide to go all the way there. Um, so I think the guidelines are kind of like landing in between you know, the California coast and Hawaii and hoping you're going to have a nice time on a beach. Uh, it, and I think there's um, the science is now telling us people differ one from another and we need to have more than one choice if we're going to give the whole population the best uh, options for health. And again, you think that there are some people who thrive on a high-carbohydrate diet, lots of starches, lots of sugars, and there are other people who really need to cut back on those if they have heart disease, if they have uh, too much weight around their middle, if they have diabetes, if they have achy joints, if they are an athlete who wants to improve their performance. There are a lot of reasons to possibly look at this, and we're offering these books to people who call and pledge where you can start to explore yourself and see about this heretical idea by calling 303-449-4885. You can call and get a copy. We have a limited number of these books, and you can get one or both of them by calling our friendly volunteers and pledging your support. And Steve Finney, if I recall, in your books, you were talking about a new way that you and other researchers are looking at to start to determine who does best on a high-carbohydrate diet and who does best on a low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet. And it's not what most people would expect. It's something called, oh, I'm going to say it wrong, I know, palmitolinolenic acid. Did I get it? 
Actually, it's palmitoleic acid, okay. and for, for short, we just call it POA. Uh, but let me drop back uh, uh, just a bit, Shelley. Sure. Um, the there is now considerable evidence, not just from our own research, but from uh, other completely independent researchers, uh, people who aren't branded as heretics, <laughs> at least not yet, that says that what differentiates a person who does well on a low-carbohydrate diet from somebody who can do very well on a high-carbohydrate, um, uh, uh, mostly vegetable diet, vegetable-sourced diet, um, is the, probably the, the, the best indicator of something we call insulin resistance. If someone is, if their body is insulin sensitive, that means they respond well to the signal of insulin, they can metabolize and utilize carbohydrates as, as fuel just fine. But if a person either is born with the propensity or develops over the course of their lifetime a, a, where, a state where their body becomes increasingly insulin resistant, that means that they're less and less tolerant of carbohydrates as their primary fuel. And so a gentleman, uh, uh, a physician at that, I'm sorry, a, a scientist at Stanford University in California named Dr. Chris Gardner did a study called the A to Z study. It was published in JAMA back in 1977. And that's the journal of the American Medical Association. Very right. prestigious same, same journal. journal that the uh, current article from Harvard is in. And what Dr. Gardner demonstrated in that population where he studied people on a very high-carbohydrate diet and then the people on a diet similar to the Atkins diet, was that if they were insulin sensitive, they did just fine losing weight on the high-carbohydrate diet. But if they were insulin resistant and they went on the high-carbohydrate diet, there was virtually no weight loss at all. Whereas people who are insulin resistant on a low-carbohydrate diet lost as, uh, as much weight on that diet as, as those who are insulin sensitive, which means that when insulin resistance is a problem for a person, uh, it appears that a low-car, a well-formulated low-carbohydrate diet is the best choice. And how do people know that? Well, as you pointed out, Shelley, if they have an expanded weight line, waistline, if they're uh, significantly overweight in, in, into the, the range we call obesity, uh, if they have high blood triglycerides, a low, the low levels of the good cholesterol cut, it called HDL. Um, uh, or if they are showing borderline high blood sugars, suggesting they're trending towards type 2 diabetes, those are, the, those are signs of insulin resistance, and those are signs that a low-carb diet may be the best choice. But, Steve Finney, if that's the case, why, if somebody has those signs, if they go into their doctor, why doesn't the doctor then say, you probably need a low-carbohydrate diet? Why instead do most doctors say, what you probably need to do is to cut back on your calories and exercise more and, by all means, cut out those fats? Well, the first issue there is uh, uh, how much are doctors taught about practical nutrition? And the answer is the majority, more than two-thirds of U.S. medical schools, have exactly zero curriculum hours dedicated to practical, that is, uh, how to implement or how to use nutrition in their clinical practice. So we can't blame doctors for being unaware or unresponsive to information that they were never taught in school. So the first issue is, that, you know, they're not taught it. And the second issue is that even if doctors were taught it, almost all dietitians um, on whom doctors rely for doing the practical education of patients, almost all dietitians are, are told that, that low-carbohydrate diets are bad and that ketones are toxic byproducts of fat metabolism. Of course, that's not true, uh, but uh, it's still taught. So 
Um, let me just quickly differentiate, because you keep talking about our two books, and people might ask, why two books? Uh, and that is that Dr. Volek and I recognize that physicians have no resource to go to for uh, yeah, basically uh, the basic science of low-carbohydrate living um, and how to do this. So we wrote a book initially intended it just for doctors, just for physicians. Oh, but so, that, physici- so this book Physicians have no background in nutrition. Uh, we had to write it at, enough, at a basic enough level that it turns out that the educated layperson, the interested educated layperson can understand it too. So that's our low-carbohydrate living book. And then our athlete friend said, what about us? You know, we're, we're doing low-carb, and we need some help, we need some guidance. So uh, we wrote a smaller, uh, a more compact book, basically as an addition to the first book, and that's called Low-Carb Performance, and that looks at how, you know, uh, explains how athletes can utilize a carbohydrate-restricted regimen to improve not just uh, performance during an event, but also recovery. Well, in that case, I hear you saying that these are books that anybody can read, it takes some study, but anybody can read them, or it's a book that you could give to your doctor or your nutritionist and ask that person to read it and give their response and what they think, too, that it's a book for all of these people because it's full of cutting-edge research and new ideas for many people. Maeve Conrad, what's your comment? Well, Shelley, I know that a lot of our listeners, actually most of our listeners, are very well informed about these issues. We've done a lot, a lot of programming on nutritional issues. We've had experts like Dr. Finney on. We've had uh, many, many other people... We Really talk challenging the conventional wisdom on some of the uh, nutritional ideas that we've all kind of grown up with and we assume that's that's the same well surely things can't have changed that much and it is so interesting and it's so important to have uh, the opportunity to hear voices like Dr. Finney to really kind of challenge that and not to just challenge kind of you know conventional thought but to challenge us as listeners and to challenge us as just you know as people who really need to think more I think about what we're eating and so many people are very well educated on you know what they are eating and so this book would be perfect for them but it's also perfect for someone who maybe kind of like me who kind of knows a little bit but really probably should know a little bit more this book is a wonderful thing we'd love to give it to you we actually two books the art and science of low carbohydrate performance and the art and science of low-carbohydrate living. We'll give them to you when you call us, but we need your support for the kind of programming that you will only get here, whether it is our Eat Your Radio series, where we work with uh, Denver Public School fifth graders to explore the challenges to really get kids to eat healthy, or shows like this, where we have experts on, nationally renowned experts available for you to call in and ask a question of. This is what KGNU provides. Won't you support us this morning? 303 449 and we do have a caller on the line with a, with a comment for you, Steve. Ellen, welcome to KGNU. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I had two, two issues I'd like to hear uh, commented on. One is um, intuitive eating, you know, eating on what you're most craving, assuming that that's not something that is obviously bad for you, like a bunch of soda, sugary, bad things like that. But um, intuitive eating and also... Um, you know, the notion that a head of broccoli maybe isn't just a head of broccoli. You know, it really depends on the kind of soils that these plants were grown in, the kind of food that the animals have eaten, um, you know, whether or not the cattle have been fed plants with lots of chemical agricultural fertilizers and, and sprays and things like that, and the actual nutritional content and health of the animals and the plants that we eat. 
Well, I Ellen, my thank you. Thank you for that, Ellen. And Steve Finney, what's your response? Well, Ellen, I think you're, you're right on the money in, on, on both questions. Um, people do have instincts in terms of what to eat. Uh, unfortunately, we temper those instincts with um, uh, A, what's available, and B, what um, uh, a culture or, uh, or a society um, preaches is the right thing. And so oftentimes people are, uh, think that they're following instinctively uh, what, their, uh, or, uh, you know, what their intuition tells them to do, but they're actually uh, following some combination of presumption um, that's imposed upon them. Um, I've been really intrigued by studying um, Aboriginal cultures, uh, in, in, case, in some cases cultures that were not literate and didn't write down what, what uh, um, you know, their, their dietary guidelines were. They just sort of followed them. I was most interested initially in the Inuit people who lived in the Arctic, and we didn't mess up their diet until about 100 years ago. Um, and uh, I was interested in, uh, and in, am interested in, how they made the choices that they made uh, um, in deciding how much protein, how much fat, and how hard to go seeking um, uh, the very unusual um, or rare sources of carbohydrate that could be found in the Arctic. Um, and I won't get into too much detail, but uh, that, their instincts as a culture taught them not to eat a high-protein diet, but to eat a high-fat diet with moderate protein. Um, and uh, we also saw that among the Native Americans who lived um, basically from the Front Range, uh, there where you folks are, all the way to the Mississippi River, uh, many of the Native American cultures uh, before um, uh, the, uh, the uh, Europeans arrived on the scene uh, lived as nomadic peoples uh, and lived on pretty much just the buffalo and, and not much more than maybe a small amount of gathered food. And so how did those people deal with cravings and food cravings? Did they crave sugar? Did they miss it a lot? Well, once we brought them alcohol and <laughs> and firearms and stuff, uh, they crave, they certainly craved those things, and, and, and sugar as well. And how about but, fry but, bread, but, and, and how about all of the other foods that, you know, among the people who started out with this way of eating, Steve Finney, they have the highest rates of obesity and diabetes and use of kidney dialysis machines because their kidneys have failed, they have amputated legs, they have blindness, and they're eating an American-style diet, and they didn't get these diseases when they were eating all that buffalo and the buffalo fat and the whales and the seal blubber. They didn't get these diseases. Well, the intriguing thing was, again, their, their um, intuitive um, guidance led them to a moderate protein, high-fat, very low-carbohydrate diet. We've Assume they followed that for since the last ice age, so maybe ten thousand years, and if they had genetic underlying genetic predisposition to be insulin resistant, it didn't matter because insulin wasn't a, a major factor in their metabolism because they were not eating carbohydrates. Now, when we give them carbohydrates, these populations which maybe carry a, a high quote genetic burden of of insulin resistance propensity. Are suddenly find themselves in an environment to which their genes are not suited, and that is probably a significant factor leading them to these high rates of disease. But let me come back quickly to Ellen's second point about, you know, a head of broccoli is not a head of broccoli. And I'll tell you, I, uh, although I follow a low-carbohydrate diet, I am a um, committed um, uh, organic gardener. I have a, a small plot here in California um, 
yeah, where it's never really winter, and I manage on about 800 square feet to raise about 1,000 pounds of vegetables per year. And I eat a lot of those vegetables. So the diet I'm following um, is not a fiber, low-fiber, low-vegetable diet. It's a high-fiber, high-vegetable, moderate-protein, very high-fat diet. And you're a fan uh, of and, and, I, and I think that I get a lot more nutrition out of my uh, homegrown vegetables and grown organically than what I get in most of the uh, uh, market produce that's, that's distributed. So I, you know, I strongly encourage the listeners and, and certainly my patients to um, you know, find a small patch of ground and, and grow at least some of your own. It's the best way to get the highest quality fruits and vegetables. And in fact, for our listeners who are fans of organic produce, Maeve Conran has another suggestion for you here. What's your suggestion, Maeve? Absolutely. Well, this is very exciting because um, I think nutritionists all agree that fresh organic produce is really the best thing for your diet. And during our summer drive, KGNU is partnering with Grant Family Farms to help local families in need because people who are relying on food banks are really subject to uh, you know, the choices that they get there. They're usually high sodium, high fat foods with, in cans with preservatives because, I mean, that's kind of what food banks often have. They have to. I mean, they have to have things with a long expiration date on them. The fact that we can get freshly grown, local, fresh, locally grown, organic food into local food banks during this pledge drive because for every membership pledge we receive Grand Family Farms will donate five pounds of fresh locally grown organic food to a local food bank really making a big difference for uh, families in need now for a pledge of $120 or more 10 pounds of fresh organic food and it kind of goes up there according to how high you pledge now just do the math here we have the opportunity to get hundreds and hundreds of pounds of organic fresh produce into food banks to really really help families who don't necessarily have access to this kind of healthy food otherwise and you get a chance to do it right now when you pledge your support join melinda gonzalez hibner in boulder thank you melinda for renewing your membership she said she was prompted to call in because she was motivated by stephen finney's viewpoint and so much so she's going to get the two books so she can read more about it the art and science of low carbohydrate living and uh, performance Thanks, Melinda. Won't you join Melinda and everybody else? Because also, Melinda, we're going to get five pounds of organic food onto the table of a family in need. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Melinda, for calling 303-449-4885. And you know what? By reading these two books, The Art of Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living and Low-Carbohydrate Performance, you might find a good reason to put a little bit of butter or maybe even a lot of butter on those organic vegetables. There's a lot of information here in these books about the safe way to do that and also some ways that are not safe. For instance, Steve Finney, you're not a fan of people who mix and match where they go from one day of eating a lot of carbs and then the next day they eat a lot of fat. You actually think that's a little bit dangerous. Well, I, It can be my, for some people. In the experience of my... Uh, many patients and in my own personal experience, you don't feel well when you switch back and forth. As I mentioned, uh, back in uh, 1980 and then again in 1983, we published studies looking at the, the time required for adaptation to a low-carb diet. And it's a minimum of two weeks. So for the first two weeks, your body is a little confused as to where the fuel is coming from. And in that two-week period, you're not going to feel uh, physically as motivated to be active and maybe not as energetic as you normally would. Um, but after a couple weeks, that completely resolves. 
but if you're on and off the diet, so let's say you're low-carb during the week and you eat, uh, you know, celebrate their week's success of low-carb five days by spending the weekend eating all the, the sugars and starches and uh, refined carbohydrates you can find, um, you're just going to be going through a roller coaster and never really get the benefits of, of being in the keto-adaptive state. Well, Steve Finney, we have another caller on the line, Virginia from Denver. Welcome to KGNU. Hi. Hi, um, what, what's I your comment? Yeah, I just would like to make a comment about the um, organic gardening and uh, everything that's happening. Everything you're saying about nutrition is, is right on. I, I've experienced this. I'm a person that, that uh, responds better to a, um, a higher-fat, low-carb diet, and, um, and it's great that the Grant Family Farms are contributing to, to uh, providing fresh, healthy food and organic food to people. I just want to mention also that... Um, we have many, many great um, organic farms and, and biodynamic farms also in our area, and um, I just want to encourage people to look into biodynamic um, gardening and farming, and that intensifies even the, the nutrition even more by using biodynamic practices. And um, uh, also um, just to support farmers, you know, that are out there growing the food and, and, um, and uh, also... Also, animals like the Windsor Dairy Farm and the, the Crescent Community Farm. And, and thank you, Virginia. We, we're short of time, yeah. and we have another caller on the line. We thank you for your comments. We certainly agree okay. with those ideas. And, Steve Finney, from what you said, you are a big fan of vegetables. We are going to go to the next caller, who is Nancy. Nancy, welcome Hi. to KGNU. Hi, thanks. Yeah, um, I just wanted to find out what your guest thinks about naturopathic medicine, because um, in my experience, Naturopathic doctors have been have been um, operating on the assumption that a diet needs to be um, tailored to the needs of the individual's body um, for decades, actually. So, just curious as to how he thinks his work, you know, interfaces with that work. Steve Finney, what's your comment about naturopathic physicians and the idea of individual diets? Uh, Nancy, I, I agree a hundred percent philosophically with the naturopathic approach. Um, what's been lacking for those of us in allopathic medicine, that is your you know, regular MD doctor, and naturopaths has been the science of, of that, that, that gives us specific guidance as to how to individualize. And that is rapidly changing. And um, uh, so I think that the individualized or personalized medicine approach is going to be dominant, I'm guessing, within the next five years. Uh, and uh, philosophically, uh, we were led there by the naturopath rather than, than my, by my fellow allopaths. Thanks. Thank you, Nancy, for that comment. You know, Steve Finney, it's interesting because there are a lot of details about health that people are fascinated by and, and know are compelling, such as whether or not there are pesticides in their food, what kind of food the cattle eat if somebody eats animal products, how to eat different kinds of macronutrients like fat, protein, carbohydrates, if you're not eating animal products, uh, you know, there's all of these sides of things that have to do with very fine details about how to eat and how important that is. And at the same time, you're finding that those macro sides of things, how much fat, how much protein, how much carbohydrate can make a huge difference for a lot of people. And we don't, we're just now beginning to understand that. That's correct. And, and as you implied, Shelley, it, it, um, People who are um, lacto-ovo-vegetarians can follow a low-carbohydrate diet quite easily. Um, and even um, a, a vegan 
person, uh, someone on a vegan diet, uh, can do low carbohydrate. But that becomes a little bit more difficult. They needle the thread in order to to get enough of the right amount of protein to get their vitamin B12 and other sources. Um, But this is not a, a... a, it's not a high-protein diet. It's moderate in protein, and much of the protein can come from non, non-meat sources, uh, and a person can still do well on such a diet and remain healthy. And you know, Steve Finney, um, I was trying out some of the recipes in your book with some friends, and you have a lot of interesting recipes on how to do this, and the one that we tried was the one where you take green beans, organic green beans preferably, and make them into sort of green bean french fries by putting a kind of an egg white kind of uh, stuff on them, and then also putting some herbs on them, and then frying them in some good quality fat. My friends who were doing this with me are Hispanic, and they looked at how we were doing this. We frothed up the egg whites to make something that would coat the green beans, and they said, "Oh, this is a lot about how we make chili rellenos." And <laughs> then they said that it tasted delicious afterward. And we did it without using any flour. We did it without using any of those coatings that are standard, like no chicken fried flour coating, and they tasted it with this just simple egg white coating, uh, basically a a vegetarian uh, dish with just eggs and green beans, and they said it tasted delicious. So I was a little surprised to see that your recipe was was a big hit. Well, thank you. The other one that's really popular is the maple walnut ice cream. Now, and then, and then, in the, that? That, that that's in both in both of the books, and then in the performance book, Dr. Volek uh, uh, finally uh, allowed us to print his uh, recipe for uh, basically uh, uh, cocoa pecan um, uh, uh, custard, frozen custard, which is just absolutely uh, uh, a delicious recipe, and to die for but not to die of. So you have these kind of recipes. It sounds like a contradiction in a low-carbohydrate, high-fat book to have a maple walnut recipe. We have about 30 seconds. We want you to explain how that can be in these books. Well, the, the primary fuel that's burned by a person's body when they're keto-adapted is fat. And the, the fats that the body loves to burn first are the saturated fats. So you can eat a fair amount of saturated fat. I won't say a lot, but you can have cream to make ice cream, and those fats go to the front of the line to get burned. But, so but they don't stay in the bloodstream, and they don't build up, and they don't carry a risk. Hey, though, Steve Finney, maple walnut ice cream is sweet. How are you managing that? Well, people can use their choice of sweeteners. My preference is a naturally occurring uh, sugar alcohol called xylitol, which actually is burned by the body for fuel. And, yeah, I need you know, 2,800 to 3,000 calories a day. And if, you know, a couple hundred calories of that per day uh, uh, come from um, a variety of, of, of carbohydrates, including xylitol, that's, that's fine. I, my body can burn it. So, yeah, I use xylitol, and I use a little bit of, of sucralose uh, in addition. Uh, some people don't like the non-natural sweeteners and can, can stay with the natural ones, okay. such as stevia. So, um, yeah, you can have sweet things. You can have rich things. You can have a wide variety of foods, lots of vegetables, even berry fruits on this type of diet. But, but uh, you have to know different. how to do it, though, and and uh, we, we're short of time, so I'm just going to say read these books as your chance to see how to do this kind of eating and what the new science is behind it and why more and more people are taking these diets very seriously and, in fact, adopting them. What's that number to call, Maeve? 303-449-4885. Be that next caller. We just have a handful of these books. 
books available. And, you know, what typically happens is people call in in maybe an hour and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it now. And then they're disappointed because the books have gone. People need to call in now if you want to pick up a copy of The Art and Science of Low Carbohydrate Living or the book on performance. We have some here for you when you pledge your support. Lots and lots of wonderful recipes. This is I'm delighted to say there's a blueberry cheesecake recipe in a nutrition book. That's wonderful. That alone is worth pledging right now. 303-449-4885. If you appreciate the fact that we'll present these kind of alternative ideas, really challenging the norm here on KGNU, whether it is in the spectrum of nutrition or any of the other areas that we have on our news and public affairs shows, we do it because we know it's important to have this platform of independence. We are free of uh, corporate control. We don't have corporate own sugary food advertisement you know here on the airwaves no what we can do is have a whole hour with somebody like Stephen Finney talking about some of these very interesting nutritional ideas because of community support so please be that next caller 303-449-4885 that is the magic number today it's your connection to your community it's your connection to some of these perspectives that you will not hear anywhere else and it's your connection to a copy of low carbohydrate hydrate living the art and science we'll give it to you but we need to hear from you right now be that next caller 303 303- 449-4885. And thank you to those who have been calling that number 303-449-4885 to pledge your support and get a copy of these two books, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living and The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance. It's 9.32. Steve, we would love to have you on air more, but at this point we are going to go on to music and then we'll be thanking people after that some more. And maybe you had one more thing that you want to say. Yeah, before we roll into another Morning Sound alternative, uh, just to remind people that, you know, we've been hearing about the importance of fresh organic vegetables in every diet, whichever diet you choose, everybody agrees fresh organic vegetables really is the basis of any good uh, diet. Well, with Grand Family Farms, we're partnering with them during this membership drive and with every pledge we get during this drive Grand Family Farms will donate £5 of fresh locally grown organic food to a local food bank. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to really you know, put your money where your mouth is. We all talk about the ideals of you know, everybody should have access to this kind of food. The reality is not everybody does and certainly people who rely on food banks who live in food deserts so that's an issue that we talk about who just don't live near a grocery store that provides some of this this is your opportunity to really help your neighbors who need to get access to this fresh food you also help kgnu and you help yourself because you are really investing in your community and basically making it a better place because with KGNU here, you know, I think we've enriched our local community with this kind of programming. I hope you agree. If you do, give us a call, 303-449-4885. And Sam is here with us in the studio. Sam, good morning. Good morning, Shelley and Maeve, and uh, really enjoying the interview with uh, the doctor on low-carbohydrate living. I'm going to get this book because I, I it's something I kind of know about, I've tried, but I never really understood the science behind it, and I've just been reading it, and it's very clearly written to understand what we're doing to our bodies when we wor- work towards a lower-carbohydrate car- type of eating and living. Um, this is, you know, this is something everybody's heard about, but 
everybody isn't quite sure why it's good, well, you can learn about it in this book. And there, it's full of great recipes, too. So very practical way to try low-carb living in your own diet and uh, perhaps share it with friends or loved ones who could benefit from this approach to eating. 303-449-4885 is the number, and there are uh, just a couple of copies left. We have them here in the air studio, and we'd like to give away all, all these copies so that people can educate themselves about the science and the art of low-carbohydrate living by uh, Drs. Jeff Volk and Stephen Finney. Really appreciated uh, Dr. Finney's comments this morning and all the callers. We have some of the smartest callers always to KGNU. Our listeners are uh, seekers of information and folks who are willing to try alternative modes of, of living. They certainly love alternative music, which is about to begin on the Morning Sound Alternative. It's all coming together here as it does every morning on your listener-supported community radio station. So please be the next listener who supports KGNU with a pledge of any amount to 303-449-4885.